I have a routine. I, I said a couple weeks ago, I drink a double shot of espresso every morning. I didn't do that this morning. I just want you to know I might be talking kind of like that. So if that happens, you know why, eh? Uh, Isaiah chapter 7. I want to give you the big picture and then hone in on where we were last, last week as we pick up the story. When Isaiah writes, Israel as a nation has been divided for about 200 years, forming two nations, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. But now there's a new bully in town called Assyria. And so the, the little kingdoms are starting to get nervous with the big kingdom, the big bully that's come into the neighborhood, Assyria. And so Israel in the north, and there's another little country, not Assyria, but Syria, decide to join together. And they come to Judah, which is where King David's family had been reigning, and there's a king on the throne called Ahaz, and they ask him, will you join with us? The three of us can defend ourselves against Assyria, the big bully in the neighborhood. King Ahaz says, no, I, I, won't, I won't have any part of it. And so the two smaller nations of Syria and Israel threaten him that if you don't, we're going to attack you, we're going to remove you from the throne, and we're going to put our own man there. That's the context. That's what's going on in the mind of the king and in the world at the time. Now, we were in Isaiah 6 last week. The good king Uzziah is dead. And Isaiah says that he has a vision, which is his calling into ministry, his calling to be a prophet the year that Isaiah dies, which is sometime around 739, 740 B.C. After seeing the glory of God, God gives Isaiah a message to Judah, that is the southern kingdom, the house of David. It's simply this, Isaiah 6. You keep hearing, but you don't understand. Isaiah, preach and make their hearts dull, their ears heavy, blind their eyes because of their sin. It means this. You're preaching Isaiah. will put my judgment into effect for all the sin of Judah. That's Isaiah 6. Isaiah then cries out, How long, how long will your judgment be in effect upon my people? And God says, until the nation, like a tree, is cut down, there's nothing left, and I bring a new shoot from its root. Chapter 7, here we are today. We see now the judgment will begin in the king's own heart, Ahaz, and how God will bring a seed of salvation, Emmanuel, God with us, from that very stump that he cut down. So let's just read together Isaiah chapter 7, and I'll read from about 1 to 14. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Isaiah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. 
When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim. Now, Ephraim's another, you're saying, who's Ephraim? Ephraim's another way of saying the northern kingdom, Israel, okay? So when he says Ephraim, he means the northern kingdom of Israel. The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Verse 3. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Joshub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway of the washer's field, and say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint. Because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramalia. Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up the son of Tabil as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria. The head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you are not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. Verse 10. Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. Let's stop. Please pray with me. Let's just pray for our time. Oh, God, that is all language that would have been familiar to Judah in the days of Isaiah the prophet. But, God, those countries, those kings, those names are not familiar to us, Lord, nor is that language. God, I pray right now that you would acquaint our hearts with the word And in the word, help us to see your faithfulness to us. Help us to see now and know and believe and trust that you are a covenant-keeping God, that you are faithful. And at the same time, Lord, I pray that you'd reveal where we are standing and have placed ourselves on unsolid ground because we've taken matters into our own hands. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are Emmanuel. You have come, Lord, and you have saved. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, God describes this King Ahaz as fearful and as faithless. Why? Well, put yourself in his shoes. You've just had a battle with your two small neighbors about your size, Israel and Syria. And they absolutely wiped the floor with you in that battle. And they've taken 120,000 of what the Bible calls men of valor from you. In other words, your best soldiers are now gone. Not only that, they've taken 80,000 women and children to be slaves out of your country. 
Not only that, but your own son has been killed. Your palace commander has been killed. And your next in command, Elkanah, has been killed. And you yourself, the king of the southern empire, has been taken captive. Well, God intercedes. And the only thing that changed was he sent a prophet named Oded to Samaria. And Oded tells him, look, if you don't let these peoples go, God's wrath will be upon you. And Israel let them go. And therefore, King Ahaz comes back. But yet, you still have the two battleships there. And they're waiting to attack again. And so in his mind, he's thinking, oh my goodness, we almost were just devastated. And we've come back, and they're still there. Do you feel how frantic you might be? How fearful you might be? It's... It's probably kind of like if you were a child on a playground and you're being bullied and so you go and you find the biggest boy there and you say, look, I'll give you my lunch money if you'll come and fight this fight for me. And that's what happens here. The temptation then is to run to Assyria. Isaiah 7, after King Ahaz has been released and before he cries out to Assyria, the big bully on the playground, God tells Isaiah, go and meet the king. Go to him now and tell him, don't be afraid. Look to me with faith and ask anything that you want. Catch that. Ask anything that you want as a sign of my faithfulness to you, and I will give it to you. Not because you're a good king, but because I made a promise to David, your great-great-great-great-grandfather. In the face of fear... Isaiah then says these words to Ahaz. If you are not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. My friends, your life is also filled with similar decisions. Something is pressing upon you, bringing fear, anxiety, uncertainty, trepidation in your life? And there are two solutions, just like with King Ahaz. Either by faith you can run and take refuge in God and his promises, fortify and strengthen yourself there and say, this is sound, solid ground. I will do the will of the Lord regardless of the pressures upon me. I will depend upon him I'll take my difficult commands and put them, or concerns, and put them there. Or you can take those concerns into your own hands, looking to God for nothing. And so often, like King Ahaz, we solve a lesser problem by creating a much larger problem to deal with it. If your faith is not firm, not much else in your life will be firm. It's what he's saying. God is the foundation of our lives for everything. Okay, what do you mean, Rusty? Well, for right and wrong. If you're not looking to God for what is right and wrong, then there's no foundation for what is right and wrong. For how we parent, 
why we stay married even when things might get incredibly difficult. Like one person told me, yes, yes, Rusty, but you don't know who I'm married to. I said, I sure do. They sit in the pew every Sunday. Why the bottom line in business is not what controls us and why we love fighting for mercy and for justice. You see, what God is saying to Ahaz is also what he's saying to us. Your trust in me is about much more than just salvation. Your faith in me means you look to me for how you live in all areas of your life. That is the firm foundation. And when that trust is not there, whatever you think is a firm foundation will not be. So when you leave God's will, you are leaving the only firm foundation we have, and you are going to something that is not. So here's the main idea this morning. Emmanuel is God's great sign for you to believe in the most difficult of times. If you're taking notes, it's just that. Emmanuel is God's great sign to you to believe in the midst of the most difficult times. And I'll even say it, to stay on the firm ground of God's will. Two things we want to see. First, a faithless king rejects God. Second, the faithful king towards his people. Point one. A faithless king rejects God. Look at verse 2 with me in your Bibles. Notice Ahaz. When the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Now we pick up the story, which is also told in Second Chronicles chapter 28, where the wicked king Ahaz has lost this great battle that we just described to Israel. He's been taken captive. Eventually, he's released, and yet he's suffered great losses in this battle. Now his two enemies are still there in front of him like two giant warships with their guns pointed right at him. Verse 6, let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us continue conquer it for ourselves and let us set up the son of Tabir as king in the midst of it. Remember, the southern kingdom Judah is not like the northern kingdom Israel. They had not had lots of families lead. They had had one family. The family of David had led up to this point for basically 200 years. The northern tribe had had nation had almost nine different families. And so now all of that is on the table. King Ahaz then is shaking like a tree in the wind because he feels all of that is soon to come to an end. So after his return to Judah, God sends Isaiah, go speak to him. Verse 3 and 4 in your Bibles. Let me just read that again. And the Lord said to Isaiah, go out to meet Ahaz, you, and Shear Joshua, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway of the washer's field. So there's the king, and you can picture it, can't you? The nations are out there. He knows they're going to attack, and so what does he do? He goes and he's inspecting his water supply, right? He's, he's thinking he's about to be invaded, and he wants to get everything in line before he's invaded. And there, when he's out in that field, comes Isaiah 
the prophet. Now notice who's with Isaiah. He's not alone. He's with his son. And what I love about when you read these things is his name is Sheer Joshua, and you say, okay, so what? Well, God's got a purpose there. And when you see he's got a son with him, you say, why is his son there? Because his name means a remnant shall remain. So his son is a living testimony right there in front of Ahaz. Don't be fearful. A remnant shall remain. Isaiah says, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, don't let your heart be faithless because of these two smoldering stumps. And so God says, look, these two nations which you think are battleships, they're smoldering stumps. There's not even a fire. They're putting off nothing but smoke. Don't be afraid of them. Now, Isaiah goes on, verses 7 and 9, and he gives a very specific promise. Notice what he says there. And this can be a bit confusing. First, he says this, It shall not stand or come to pass. Simply put, they're not going to win. But here is what will happen. Look in your Bibles there. The head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is King Rezin. And we say, okay, so what? Why is he saying that? Well, what God is saying is the nations, these two nations, their boundaries are not going to change. King Rezin is still going to be king of his land. His capital is still going to be his capital. He's not going to expand his land. He's not going to take your capital. Do you see? It's a promise, and he does it for both those nations. Now he closes after promising you're safe. He's not going to take your nation. He closes. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. The Hebrew here is a wordplay. He's really saying something like this. Hold God in doubt, and you will not hold out. He's saying, what you are resting on is me. What is keeping the family of David in power is me. And when you start trusting in me, then your greatest fears will come true. Have faith. My friends, why don't we start trusting God? And most of us, it's not an intellectual decision where we all of a sudden become atheists, is it? But because we truly don't believe that his will and his word is solid ground for me. And God is just saying the opposite, that what your fears tell you to run to is the sinking ground. Years ago in Niagara Falls, uh, there was a man who set up a uh, trapeze line. And people would go, and they would have crowds around the falls, and he would get his trapeze line, and I'm sure at first he had his stick, and he would walk across the trapeze line. And then he would come back, and in front of the crowd, he would say to them, who here believes that I can walk across with a wheelbarrow? And they would say, we believe, we believe, yes, we believe, do it, do it, do it. And they would nudge their friend and go, he's crazy. And then he'd say, fill up my hat with money and I'll do it. They did, and he'd get his wheelbarrow and go all across Niagara Falls, flip it on the other side, and come back. And then he would come back to him. he'd say, who believes I can walk across Niagara Falls with a person in the wheelbarrow? Oh, we believe, we believe, you can do it, we know you can do it. 
you, sir, in the front row, would you please come get in my wheelbarrow? <laughs> what? No, no, I'm not getting in your wheelbarrow. But you said you believed. You said you believed. You see, there's a great difference between an intellectual belief that says we believe in God and a saving faith which gets into the wheelbarrow or puts your life, your salvation, your possessions, your decisions when pressure is coming into your life in Jesus' wheelbarrow, into his hands. And that is what is happening here as Isaiah is challenging Ahaz. My friends, there are lots of graces in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, and on. But faith only is the grace that gives us the right to Christ. It is only one thing. It's not good works. It's not being a generous person. It's faith. And faith expresses itself in many ways. But receiving or embracing Christ with all our heart is the only saving act of faith. In other words, faith that saves is faith that gets into the wheelbarrow. Let's go to point two. Let's move from a faithless king to a faithful king. Point two. The faithful king, he keeps his promises. Now, I need to give you a little bit of background about who this king Ahaz is. And I want to just read to you a paragraph about this man and his character. It comes from 2 Chronicles 28. Listen. He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. That's not good. The kings of Israel were wicked men, and he's saying he's just like them. He even made metal images for the bells. He made offerings in the valleys of the son of Hinnom and burned his sons as offerings according to the abomination of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. This is a man who sacrificed his own sons to the gods of the nations and then to those gods under every green tree he set up an offering. Now you understand who he is. Look in your Bibles at verse 10 and 11 with me. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord, your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Notice that. Ask a sign. God is commanding him, an evil, rebellious, wicked king. God understands the pressure that's upon him. So he doesn't just say, believe me and follow me. God hands him a blank check and says, fill it out. As deep as hell and as high as heaven. Ask anything and I'll show you that I'm God. And notice his response in verse 12. I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Religious language, right? He's quoting from Deuteronomy 6, 16 where Israel was complaining about not having enough water, and they were saying, we want to go back to Egypt. Essentially, God stinks. Let's go back. They were grumbling. And, I, and Ahaz says, I won't do that. 
Now, that's not what God's asking him to do. God's saying, you're struggling believing. Let me show you how good, how gracious, how big I am. Let me give you a reason, a sign to believe. Now, what's behind his refusal? Well, he knows if God shows him a giant sign like that, that he's got to repent and he's got to believe. His life has got to radically change. And he didn't want to do that. So he cloaked his answer in some religious jargon. Now, God says, okay, I'll give you a sign if you won't ask for one. Verse 14. And this is the verse that we're all so familiar with. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. Stop. God says, I'll give you a sign as deep as hell and as high as heaven. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Now, if you're a Jew and you hear that language, you understand that that's birth language. You see that all through the Old Testament. The angels appeared to Ishmael, Abraham's wife Sarah, and Hannah, and they would say, behold, something like that. You're going to have a child. And so when you see that, he knows there's a child that's being announced here, right? But this is a bit different. (laughs) There's a greatness in this child in two different ways. Look at your text. A virgin shall have a son. Stop. What did you just say, Isaiah? A virgin, a woman who's never known a man nor never been married, she's going to have a son. Impossible. And his name will be Emmanuel. That means God with us. A woman that's never known a man is going to have a son, and this son will be God with man. A sign that you can trust the Lord as deep as hell and as high as heaven. A real child, not a spiritual child. We just need to look at this, verse 15. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. Jewish children, they put butter or curds and a bit of honey on their bread. Some people even said they put it on their lips as children. And what he's saying is don't spiritualize this. I'm not talking about Israel. This is a real child that's really going to eat curds and honey. We're talking about a real boy. Okay, stop. There's a real challenge here. And I can't stop there. A Jew would say, okay, Rusty, but what about verse 16? Doesn't that prove that it's not Jesus? That the church for all these years has gotten it wrong? Doesn't that prove that it's King Hezekiah? Let's read verse 16. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Now, we know Emmanuel is speaking about Jesus, God with us. Matthew one twenty two tells us, all this, meaning the birth of this child, took place to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah says. So the birth of Jesus, Matthew tells us, this is Emmanuel, this is God with us. But verse 16 does not fit with Emmanuel because it says, while the boy is still young, the land of Israel and Syria, the two battleships out there, will be destroyed while the boy is still young. You can trust this is going to happen. Are you following me? 
You see how you can't put that together. And so the Jew would say, see, it's not about Jesus. It's about something else. It's just about to happen. Christians, you got it wrong. So the Jews would say, this is Ahaz's son, Hezekiah, who would bring God back into the picture and bring a lot of reforms. Well, that can't be right because his mother, Abi, is not a virgin. Nor was he God with us, Emmanuel. So how do you deal with this text? And I want to try to explain it to you the best way I understand it. It's just this. Isaiah is making two predictions. Please follow with me. First, starts in verse 13. Look in verse 13 in your Bibles. Notice how he says, who's he talking to? To the house of David. He's not talking to Ahaz here. Verse 13 and 14, to the house of David. Two times here he uses the word you, and that you is in the plural. And what he's saying is, I'm answering the question of how God is going to be faithful to the tribe of Judah, to the family of David. Y'all is what he says, not you. He goes to the plural, y'all. You see that? And literally in the Hebrew, it's y'all. And he's saying, how is God going to be faithful to y'all? There'll be a virgin. This virgin will come from Ahaz's family, from the line of David. And this virgin will have a child, and that child's name will be Emmanuel, God with us. And God will keep all his promises to King David of an eternal throne room through this child, Emmanuel. And this child will eat curds and honey. He's a real boy. Okay? That deals with that. Now, Rusty, what about verse 16? Wrap it up here. Land the plane. Tell us about verse 16. Well, the second prediction is for Ahaz right before him. And he switches. I'm going grammar on you here. I don't like to do this, but here I have to. He switches from y'all to you. Suddenly, he doesn't say, I'm talking to y'all, the nation of David. He says, Ahaz, I'm talking to you. And that's our answer. In verse 16, you is in the singular. He's talking to Ahaz, and he's saying, this is for you. Before the boy knows the difference between good and evil, the land's two kings you dread will be gone. Well, who's the boy if it's not Emmanuel? He tells us a few verses later. Skip down to chapter 8 in your Bibles and look at 3 and 4. Isaiah tells us who that boy is. You ready for me to read it? I'll read it. And I went to the prophetess. So Isaiah is talking about going to his wife, who's a prophetess. And she conceived and bore a son. The Lord said to me, Call his name Maher Shalal Hashbaz. For before the boy knows how to cry, My father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Israel, Assyria. That's it. You see, he's, the second prediction is, Isaiah, you will have a child. And before that child knows the difference between right and wrong, these two battleships, Syria and Israel, will be taken away by Assyria. You see, so there's two distinct predictions here. One for the future to the house of David, Emmanuel will come, and one to King Ahaz right here. Trust in me. 
how do we think and live this? I don't usually like to just get technical and get into the grammar, but sometimes you just have to. How do we think and live this? And let's just close with these two thoughts. First is this. Trusting God comes when we feel our entire security is in him. Trusting God comes when we feel our entire security is in him. Do you have Israel and Syria pressing upon your life? Are they there? Do you feel those guns pointed in your direction? Do you feel the challenge? Do you feel the pressure threatening to take away your peace, your security? Well, what's your reaction? Let me say it like this. What have you run to to solve your problems, to make you comfortable, to make you not forget your troubles, to bring you peace and quiet that is not God and is not his will? Let me give you some examples that I've seen. A man I know, he gets tired of his wife nagging him. So when she goes to bed, he starts up an online relationship with a woman in Canada. A single woman, she grows tired of being lonely. So every night she puts on old episodes of The Office, which we like The Office. There's nothing wrong with The Office. And she drinks a bottle of wine. A young boy gets tired of being bullied at school and picked on, so he escapes his reality now as fantasy books and computer games, all like Assyria to run to to solve our problems and all sinking sand. Listen, trusting God is about not just finding your salvation in Christ, but your entire security in Him. And He's given you a great sign that you can do that. And that sign is as deep as hell and as high as heaven. A virgin had a child. And that child is Emmanuel, God with us, fully God and fully man. That child was from the line of David, the eternal king. And that child also was the Lamb of God who died to take away your sins so that you too could be forgiven and reconciled with God. And if you're a believer here today, that is his great sign to you. Trust me in all aspects of your life. I've given you a sign. His name is Jesus. Let's just pray. God, we're amazed, and I could go on about your grace, the fact that you come to a king like Ahaz, who is wicked, far wickeder than anyone in this room in terms of he's, he's killed his own children. And yet you're so faithful to your covenant promises to David made generations before. Oh, God, you are such a faithful God. And you are faithful to your son, Jesus Christ, Lord. And you will keep all those who have been given to him that he died on the cross for his church. Oh, Lord, we just praise you right now. We worship you that you are faithful even when we are faithless. Let us not run to Assyria, whatever that might be in our life. God, when times of struggle come, let us believe you are the only firm ground. Run to Christ. Rest in his will. Do his will. And knowing that you love us and we can trust us, because a virgin had a child 
who was Emmanuel, God with us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to please stand again with us. So the Lord sends Isaiah the prophet to tell Ahaz some pretty amazing things. And it's hard for Ahaz to believe. We hear the word of God, and we hear the same teaching. And we respond this morning when we hear the prophecy of Jesus coming. We say, this I believe. Let's sing the creed. In other words, this is what we believe together. Our Father everlasting, the all-creating One, God Almighty. 